Okay, this is uh, Shia number 11, and um, I'm, I'm going to try to wrap up with this year the uh, ideas of um, current events and so on <coughs> in terms of what I think is happening and why and to a certain extent what will happen, um, sort of like uh, predictions and so on. But like I say, you know, we, no, one really never knows. This isn't the rule of prophecy. It's merely Chochmah trying to figure out, based on a divine agenda, what is happening. Based on also what we know, what has to happen eventually. The real question is when and who are the actors. But we do, we do have a good understanding of the plot, um, you know, and, and so on, you know. And this year is really the, what's called the bottom line share. That's the bottom line share. This is uh, all the, the ten shurim I gave until now really comes to this point. What's this all about? You know, why do I think Trump is going to win? Hope he does. And that he's going to win. And so on. What, is, what is this really all about? So that's what I want to uh, talk about. Uh, so the first thing I'm going to do is read you a Yalkut, <coughs> which uh, there are several of them which I want to read or, or, or tell you about because they're critical to understand what is about to happen in terms of the Hashkofa. So, here goes. This Yalkut is Yalkut Shemoni. It's Yishayohu. And it's uh, the uh, simon, or the, uh, the section is Tof Sadik Tes, which is um, 499. And it's a long piece. <coughs> but there's certain very critical pieces that you have to know, and then I'm going to talk about it in the Shir, about these pieces, about the Mashiach, what he has to do, what has to happen before he comes. So it's really very, very important. Um, okay. And God saw the light, that it was good. This obviously is embracious. This teaches us that God anticipates, looks forward to the generation of the Mashiach. God looks forward, he anticipates the generation of the Mashiach and in his actions which you have to understand Mitzapa means to look forward to with a great sense of excitement. You know, for those people who think that, well, God doesn't seem to be interested anymore, God is anticipating with what's called in English bated breath, the arrival of Mashiach, you know. And believe me, we can understand when we take a look at what's happening today with all the evil dictatorships and even unfortunate what's happening in America and so on. And he, he looked forward to this Koidim Shenivra Oilam, before the world was created, already he's, his mind is on, I can't wait till this ends. That's, that's the mindset of which is stated here, okay. And he concealed the Mashiach and that generation under his divine throne. And he concealed his or, the messianic light, which is the Orishan, or the Oragonus, the first light, which was six days of creation, the Oragonus, the concealed light, or the Omashiach, they're all the same thing. He concealed all of that under his great throne. Now, here goes. Oma Sotan Lefnei Kodesh Bochum. So the Sotan, who was also created at that time, he says to God, the light that you just concealed under your throne, the me, who's this for? So Omalei, so God says to him, the Mishu Osid, for that individual who in the future <coughs> will destroy you 
and incredibly embarrass you. That's who I'm giving it to. So the uh, Sultan says to God, Harehuli, show it to me. I want to see this stuff. Omale, so God says to him, Boy Reh, it's okay, come and take a look. So God showed him that light or that incredible. And it says, and when the Sultan saw it, Nizda'azea, he trembled, the Sultan, and the Sultan is no slouch. He trembled, Vinofel Aponov, and he collapsed. He fell on his face, and he said, Bevadai, definitely, this is obviously going to be given to the Mashiach, which will destroy me and all the uh, princes of uh, Avodah that defy God. That's the first aspect of the Medrash. So we begin to see from here the power of this ore, what it's going to do, that even the Sutton went bananas on this. And he realized it's a, it's a game changer. It's over. Then the Medrash continues, the Oasis Shaw at that time, at the same time before the world was created, the nations of the world, the Sorum of those nations, yeah, the angel that's in charge. So so they, they said to God, who is this guy? That we will fall to him. What's his name? Interesting. And what's his character? What's, the, what's his nature? So God said, Ephraim Mashiach Sidki Shemoy. Sheikh bin Yosef. The Medrash calls him Mashiach bin Ephraim because he comes from Ephraim, which is the descendant of Yosef. He will lift his stature, and the stature of his generation. And he will enlighten the eyes of Israel, and he will salve, cause salvation to his people. And no nation or language will be able to stand up to him. All his enemies, they will tremble and flee from this individual. Imagine what that light must be if everybody is trembling and running. Now, but how does it all come about? Here's, here's, here's another, there's a third piece. So God started to talk to Mashiach bin Yosef, Mashiach bin Ephraim, uh, when they all ran away, Satan and the Umasai, the nations of the world. So, so God says to the Mashiach, and you have to hear this incredible dialogue. God says to the Mashiach, by the way, this is all before the world was created. So God says to them, those people that you are somehow protecting, so God says, their sins, okay, their sins, their sins in the future are going to make you suffer under an enormous weight. And the, the Medrash refers to it as a beams of iron, a yoke, with an oxen, it's pretty heavy, a yoke of solid iron, beams of iron. And they will make you like a, like a calf. You know, you put a yoke on, a, on an ox. And they will, uh, uh, they will uh, uh, disturb greatly your spirit. Be oil with this yoke. And because of the sins of these people, you mean the Jews, your mouth will be stuck. Your tongue will be stuck to your mouth. God says to them, you want this? Because you want to accept the sins of the Jewish people? You really want this? You know, he's, he's asking the Mashiach, do you want these sins? You have to understand what that means. What it means is this. 
know, everybody sins. What happens is they have a kapora in the generation. Fine. I mean, while they live, they have all kinds of trials and tribulations and so on. Fine. And then if it's not enough, then they come back begilgal. They come back as a reincarnation and they got to continue whatever they didn't complete because the object is to remove all their sins so they can get Olam Haba or rather Gan Eden Olam and so on. The problem is, is that many people, fortunately, there are many Jews, that it's not sufficient to live out or to have an atonement for their sins in one lifetime and not even in many lifetimes. It's not sufficient. And apparently even Gehenim cannot erase it. So therefore, what God needs is somebody to take on those sins on himself and suffer for the sake of Klai Yisrael, which a Jew can do for another because every Jew is really one neshama. Well, you know, without knowing how it works, but a Jew can uh, take on the sins of others to, um, to allow them to survive. Uh, in Kabbalah, what? Isn't this a Christian concept? Uh, you, you mean the Christians borrowed from the Jews. Let's, let's, let's locate it. Yeah, of course, uh, that's the classic Christian. But where do you think they got it from? This is, uh, Medrash was, uh, I mean, Yecheskel uh, Novi suffered for the Jews. In, 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 in Kabbalah or Hashkof, it's called Soivli Choyloim. So God says to Mashiach ben Yosef, ben Ephraim, you want this? means, do you want to be the Soivli Choyloim? You want to take on that responsibility where you will suffer for all those Jews that can't make it? That's essentially what he's asking. Who are some of the big Soivli Choyloim? I'll tell you, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu is one, and that's why he's buried outside Eretz Yisrael, because he's Neshama, is therefore surrounded by a, what's called a barrier that does not allow him and this, uh, to, to uh, access the ore. And that suffering of Moshe Rabbeinu uh, atones for the Jews. That's why he's buried outside Eretzreel, and that's the symbol that he's what's called in the Klippa, that he's one of the Seyvei Cholon. The Meshichan, as you will see, Meshichan also, and many tzaddikim of many generations also. In fact, the, the name of this kind of suffering is called Yisurin Shalava. Sufferings of love, because if you have to cry, you love your neighbor, therefore you will accept suffering for him to get atoned. Okay, and uh, you, you see that, you see many Gemara's talk about that. Uh, you find that, for instance, Gemara Rebbe Liezer, I think it's Rebbe Elozo, Rebbe Liezer in Gemara Brochus, where he had tremendous suffering. So Rebbe Yochanan came to him, and uh, there was a discussion, and ultimately said to him, Well, do you want me to lift the Yisurim from you or not? Tell me. Obviously, Rebbe Yochanan could do that. So, so I think it was Rabbi Eliezer or Eloza, um, and he said, there's enough hair, I think, on the base, where he says to him, uh, I don't want them or their schar. That's a strange lesson for Yisurim, you know, which means that he was really suffering, not for his own sins, he was suffering for the sins of Klai's world, <coughs> right, which apparently at one time maybe he has accepted. He said, I don't want them, and the din is that if you don't want those sufferings for somebody else, they're immediately removed, and therefore they were removed. But that's called Yitzun Shalhava, which is sufferings that a person can accept for the sake of others. So God says to the Mashiach, do you want this? So Omar Mashiach Lefnei Kaddish Bochor, you have to listen to what this guy, what the Mashiach said. He said, Rabboni Shaloylam, is this suffering could be a long time, a lot of years? He wants to know how long is this going to go, you know? So God said to him, Chayecho, based on your life and the life of your head, whatever, Shavua, it's only for a week. It's a long week. It's probably God's week. Um, and he says, And if you feel depressed about this, I'll take them away. I'll remove them. If you don't want it, fine. Because remember, you have to accept this. 
So Omar Lefonov, so the Mashiach says to, in front of the Bernashlam, he says, Rabbanashlam, master of the universe, begilas libi, with joy in my heart, ubesimchas libi, and tremendous um, happiness in my heart. Take a look at this. I accept on me all the suffering that on the condition that not one Jewish soul should be lost. Not one Jewish neshama should be lost. It means if there are people that nothing will, it means they just have too many sins and either a, a, a lifetime or a Gilgal or maybe even Gehenim not going to do it. I'm the guy. I'm the fall guy. That's what he says. And then he says to Mashiach, and not only those living when I will be around in my time, that means on the earth, right? But even those that are dead, they die in my time. I will accept suffering for them also that they can make it. And not only those that die in my time, but those that have died since Adam Arishan, means every Jew that ever lived, or every Mesakin, that's really, because when the other is not Jewish, but it means anybody who had a chance to do Tikkun, to rectify creation, and they sinned, right, and they, it's not sufficient, right, and they need someone to substitute, to take it over, I accept all of it, that every Jew will survive. It's astounding. What? No, I should explain that. It means every Mesakin, because of between Adam and, and Avram, Everybody could rectify creation. I mentioned that, right? So therefore, even them, right? Now, and then he says, and not only these guys, often the fallen, even those miscarriages, a woman, uh, a woman was carrying, and she miscarried. So these kids were never born, right? I accept punishment, I accept Yeshua and suffering for them. You, you lay it all on me. Whoever needs my help, I'm the fall guy which is beyond belief. I mean, you, we're talking about how many millions of Jews or whatever. Bekachani writes it, Mashiach says, this is what I want. Okay? And Bekachani Makabal. And I accept this. So it says that in the Shavuot Sheben David Bo, now we can to understand, that this Mashiach will be alive in the time of Ben David, means at that time, right? So what they do, they brought Kuris Shobazel. They brought... Uh, beams of iron and they put it on his neck I mean, this is symbolic the, and the, the oil was the sins of all those Jews right imagine they put this on the neck of the person of the Mashiach right I mean could you imagine you know all of a sudden he, the Mashiach bent down because this incredible weight the sins of all those Neshamas were on his head on his neck and what happened to the Mashiach he started crying and screaming, you know. And he started screaming and crying, and his voice went up to heaven. I mean, we can do, the, the, the suffering was obviously almost indescribable. <coughs> so, Omar Lefonov, so the Mashiach says to God, he says, How much strength do I have? Come on. How much spirit do I have? And how big do you think Emi Shama is? I mean, I can't tolerate this. I was just kidding around a little, you know. Or I didn't expect this. And what do you think about my organs? you think I could tolerate this? Right? Am I not a human flesh? 
There is Mashiach is human, right? So it says, okay, and then it says, So at that moment when Mashiach started complaining, he said, I didn't bargain for this, right? So God says, Ephraim Mashiach Tzidki, again, he's talking about Mashiach bin Yosef. Hey, you accepted it. The deal's done. Yeah, you can't retract now. I got your signature here. You accepted this from Sheshis Imebrashis, from the beginning of creation. So, meanwhile, the Mashiach is screaming, okay, you know. Achshav, so God says to him to placate him. Achshav, Okay, I want to tell you something. Your tsar, told the Mashiach and Yosef, will be like my tsar. Right? Which is the Tzar of the Shechina. From here you begin to see the unbelievable Tzar of God. And the day that he stood up and he destroyed my Beis Amigdash, and he destroyed Yushalayim, and he exiled all the people, my children, between the Umas Oilam, right? I have never sat down on my throne. That's the pain that I feel. That I can't even sit on my throne. At that moment when God, God's obviously trying to appease him and say, listen, I'm also suffering. Kaviyochal, the Ramansham, you know. Omalafanov. So the Mashiach ben Yosef said to God, the Bonishlanam, Achshav Nisyafshti Nisyash Nisyash Nisyashvo Daiti Olai. My mind is now set at rest. Why? Kidayoili Ebachiakuraboy. Because it is sufficient for an Evid to be in the same situation of suffering as his master. And if his master is suffering, then obviously I will allow that. So we have here the incredible situation where the Mashiach ben Yosef, he's the greatest of the Suvli Chodoim. He has accepted upon himself. That's be all the other tzaddikim and so on, that they're trying to help our clients Israel. Uh, he has accepted that on himself, <coughs> and he's considered the greatest of the Suvli Chodoim. It's an incredible medrash. You know, uh, just just to read this and so on. You know, but we realize what he's. I mean, he realized he was macabre, what he's about to go through. <clears throat> you know, and this explains many ideas. Why is it many tzaddikim say that when they die, they're going to go and storm heaven, right? And they're going to uh, talk to the Mashiach. Hey, you got to come. I mean, why? Why is Claudia suffering? Right. So what they do is, uh, so they get, they die and they go up to heaven and they go to the Mashiach and they say, "Come on, what does it take to bring you?" So the Mashiach says to them, you want me to come? I'll come, no problem. Okay? But remember, if I come, that's the end of my Yisurin. Which means that there are many Jews that won't make it to Ilum Habo. Because I'm the guy that's supposed to get them there. So once I come, then I come as a Redeemer. Correct? If I come as a Redeemer, then I renounce, obviously, the ability to suffer for them. And therefore, who knows how many hundreds of thousands of Jews will not get into Ilam Habo? That's what he tells the tzaddik. So obviously what the tzaddikim says, okay, sorry, I take back what I said, you just keep doing on your job. <clears throat> so that's, Medrash again shows you, uh, which is very important. Then I might as well bring you the next Medrash, which I have quoted already, and this we can all thank Obama. And this is the place where that Medrash is. Omra Yitzchak. So I might as well bring it because... Uh, we all make curse a toy for this. Shana Shemelech Hamashiach Nigla boy, the year that the Mashiach reveals himself. Okay. Kol Malchi Umis Oilam Mizgan Zebuzer. 
the entire world will be at uh, inciting each other. The Melech Poras, Persia, which is Iran, Mizgar uh, Melech Arvi, he will incite uh, a battle with the king of Arabia, uh, and the king of Arabia will go to Edom to seek uh, Eitzah, advice, what do I do? Choza Melech Pras, Poras, the king of Persia, which is Iran, will begin to be Machrves Kolo Oilam, begin to destroy the world, is what it says, right? That Persia, which is Iran today, will begin to destroy the world. I mean, when you read this Medrash 20, 30 years ago, you said this is impossible. But today, with nuclear weapons, thanks to Iran, this is exactly what's happening in front of us, right? He has enabled Iran to destroy <coughs> the world. And it said in the Medrash that he will begin, right, to destroy the world. And then it says the entire world are going to be unbelievably agitated, panic, because they don't, they don't know what to do. And then it says, Klai Yisrael, they're also going to be panicking, and they're going to say, well, what should we do? We don't know what to do, right? Where should we go? And then God is Abbasco going to come out and say, Bini, my children, do not be afraid. Everything that I have done for you, I did only for your sake, which obviously is the end of time, and therefore do not be afraid. The time of your redemption has arrived. From this Medrash and the Gula Rishonah, and this redemption will not be like the first redemption in, from Egypt, because the first redemption from Egypt, they still had to go through exile. But this redemption will no more ever again have an exile. It will be a total redemption. From this message, you see clearly that Persia or Iran is going to obviously try to destroy the world and whatever. Doesn't mean the entire world, not necessarily. What it does mean is they can threaten Europe. They can threaten uh, what he called uh, Saudi Arabia. They just have to threaten the oil reserves, right? But this medrash was written 2,000 years ago. But this is really what Obama has done. He has allowed the fulfillment of this medrash by enabling Iran to even threaten the world, even economically. That's a threat. It doesn't have to be a physical threat. That time, in the end, God will uh, allow the old Mashiach to appear. And uh, all of them will uh, appear, uh, they'll, they'll witness the, the light. It's always talking about the Or Mashiach, because that's really what he does. Which says that the nations of the world and will come and fall at the feet of the Mashiach and at the feet of Klai Yisrael, And fall at the feet of Klai Yisrael. And they're going to say, we want to be slaves to you. Imagine, at the end of the world, Shonu, we learned that Rabbuseinu, Asidim, Shonu Rabbuseinu, our sages taught us, and this is Murad Ikzach. Asidin the Ovis Ho'ilam, Lamud Benison, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, they will stand up, they will arise in Nisan, and they are going to say to the, this is at the end of time, and they're going to say, Ephraim, Mashiach, Tzidkenu, Mashiach, Ben Yosef, Afa Pisha, Onu, Avasecho, even though we are your forefathers, even of the Mashiach, Ben Yosef, obviously, right? Ata Toiv, Mimenu, you are greater than us. This is what they're saying to the Mashiach ben Yosef. Why? Because you have suffered for the sins of our children. And what has transpired with you is terrible decrees, and that's his son, and evil. And this stuff that happened to you has never happened to any of the Rishonim or the Achroinim. Then it says that God will take the Mashiach ben Yosef and lift them up and give more kinds of rewards. That's the Alkut. First of all, Shiach, 
We know there are two Mashiachim, Mashiach ben David, Mashiach ben Yosef. Mashiach ben Yosef comes first because his job is to clean up the mess. He contends with evil, with the Satan and the nations of the world, and he surpasses them and he destroys, not destroys them, but he conquers them. And then once they are, uh, and he destroys the Satan, actually the, the uh, Mashiach ben David does that. And then after him, there's Mashiach ben David, who ushers in, uh, of course, the uh, Messianic era. Mashiach ben Yosef basically has four jobs. You see that from Moshe Rabbeinu, who was Mashiach ben Yosef in his day. Uh, his job is Kibbutz Goliath, to take back all the exiles of Klai Yisrael, uh, back to Eretz Yisrael. The second job of Ben Yosef is to build the base of Mikdash. The third job is uh, to reveal the Messianic light. And the fourth job is the, the redemption itself. And that's really what Moshe Rabbeinu did, if you really think about that. Took him out of Egypt, right? Which, uh, yeah, that, that's the, it's to destroy the nations. That's one of his jobs. He destroyed Egypt, one. Took him out to Eretz Yisrael, two, even though he never got there. But he took him to Eretz Yisrael, two. He gave them the Orishim, the three. And in many ways, he began the formation of Klai then Mashiach ben David ushers in the Messianic era, and then th that era is just beyond belief, as you will see. Yeah, it's, well, yeah, the Zemachlik is if he will, will not die, Gemara apparently, but the Zoya says he won't die, uh, and uh, the Goyen says he won't die, Ramchal, uh, first of all, and the reason, where do we know that? Because there's, when Yaakov Avinu, uh, Yaakov, Yaakov thought Yosef was dead, so he said, Yosef Chai. Oid Yosef Chai, I thought Yosef was dead. So the Goyen says, that's the Remez, brings in Kalatur. Oid Yosef b'nichai, he's still alive. So that means that Yosef should have died, but he didn't. There were ten drops that emanated from him, and that was a tremendous kilkel. So therefore the, the Asura Haruga Malchus really have to die for those ten drops. Because it was a tremendous pagam or whatever, even though he remained at Sadiq, that's not the question. And Rabbi Akiva, you know, he was the greatest of the Asura Haruga Malchus, and uh, Akiva ben Yosef. Interesting. And what the Bansham did, so that so the death sentence of Mashiach bin Yosef, uh, which is really terrible for Kleinsville, because if he dies, then the Jews are also destroyed. Uh, not all of them, but uh, terrible. So what the Bansham did, the Goyen, the Ramchal, and the, and the, and, uh, the Ari and so on, that he won't die, a lot of it is because we are praying. We pray a Semach David, the offspring of David, of David, which is Mashiach bin David. Uh, so Tzemach David, David is Mashiach ben David, Tzemach is Mashiach ben Yosef. So in all our tefillahs we pray that Mashiach ben Yosef does not die. As a representative of the Nisoyen of those ten drops which emanated and so on. Instead you had the Arasura Rugamachas and so on, I don't get into the whole thing, but uh, they in many ways stood for that. So whatever's left from Mashiach ben Yosef as a kapora for those uh, uh, ten drops and so on, uh, what the Bansham does is he brings him back in many Gilgulim, and in each Gilgul he suffers. So if you cu cumulative, added up all the suffering of Mashiach ben Yosef in all the Gilgulim, it would kill him. But since he spreads it out, he does not uh, die. He survives. That's an important idea. Like I said, the, the remus for that, the illusion for that, is when Yaakov said, Oi Yosef Chai, my son Yosef still lives. That's the remus. By the way, if he would have died, Klai Yisrael would also have suffered terribly uh, because it says only one or two families in a city will survive. But what Rabban Hashem did is he did the same thing. Just like by Mashiach ben Yosef, what did he do? It brings him back many times, right? And as a result of that, it's spread over. So he doesn't die 
cumulative, he would have killed him. But since it spread over, he doesn't die, and he will survive. So therefore, the Messianic war is also spread over. You know that. We have already had two Messianic wars, Goig and Magog, but the only one, Goig and Magog is missing. I should say Mashiach and Yosef and Goig. You know what the, the wars are? World War I was Messianic. It took away from the heat of this sentence of Ben Yosef. World War Two, and the Asad Lovei World War Three, which is the war Gogamogai, which I spoke about as Iran and Israel and so on. But that won't be a war in terms of killing. It'll be a war <coughs> probably of whatever, threats and so on and so forth. Anyway, so that really happened. Anyway, so he won't die. Uh, and I'm not referring, by the way, to his suffering for the Klai Yisrael. That's a, that's a different cheshman, as they say. Anyway, so uh, well, who is the Mashiach? What is he really? Adam uh, Marishan, we know in Nishama has five parts. It has Nefesh, Ruach, Nishama, Chaya, and Yechida, five parts. And each one is connected to a world, uh, a metaphysical world, a spiritual world. Asiya, Yitzira, Bria, Atsilus, and what's called Adam Kadman, which is Oilam Habo. <laughs> That's why we have five, because we're connected to all the Adamas, including the spiritual world. So Adam Rishon had the totality of everybody in him. His neshama, all of it, right? The neshama is also a collective term, as well as an individual term of the third part. There's nefesh, ruach, neshama, chayin yechidah, so neshama is referred to as the third part, but neshama, it's a soul, refers to the entire thing collectively. Anyway, so what happened was, is that yechidah, right before Adam Rishon sinned, the Yechidah, which is highest part of the Shammam, flew away. So it was never contaminated by the sin. You know, thank God for that. Uh, that that flew away. Now, so therefore, the Meshichan, Ben Yosef, Ben David, who are they? There are many Neshamas in Klai Yisrael. The great Neshamas of Klai Yisrael is Moshe Rabbeinu and the two Meshichan. You know, they, they cover an enormous amount of expanse of the spiritual worlds. Meshich Ben Yosef, he comes from Yusuf HaTzadik. Yusuf HaTzadik, his neshama was enormous. It was a half a patriarch, as I had mentioned in the last year, and it's enormous. So therefore, that's called the Yesoid of Mashiach ben Yosef. That's the foundation neshama. From that, that neshama gives off uh, what's called sparks, but enormous sparks, and, they, and these are called shrushim, okay, roots. And these roots, uh, so the Mashiach ben Yosef has a root Shosh Neshama of Yosef HaTzadik. So Yosef HaTzadik is the block, so to speak. The tremendous section or part that he has is called a Shosh, right? And Mashiach ben Yosef is a person that has that Yisoyed of Yosef and the, the, uh, the section should call the root, okay? And he, then he gets one half of the Yechid of Adam Rishon. Yechid of Adam Rishon splits, one half goes to Mashiach ben Yosef, the other half goes to Mashiach ben David. Uh, so the, who, the person who winds up being the Mashiach has the Neshama of Yosef, he has the Neshama, the Shorish Neshama that comes from Yosef. Is he Gilgal of Yosef? Um, no, 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 he's not a Gilgal of Yosef, but he's a Chelek of Neshama. And the third thing he has is called the Yechid of Adam. Half. And the Yechid of Adam is the collective Yechidah of all Klai Yisrael. That is the crown of Mashiach. So, Ben David, his Yesoid Neshama is Yehuda. He has a Sherish, okay, and he gets the other half of the Yechid of Adam Rishon, the highest part of the Neshama, 
So together, they have the blocks of Yosef and Yehuda. They are Shurish Neshamas, which means that they can become a candidate to be Mashiach. But in order to be the Mashiach, they have to have the Yechid of Adam. So the real Mashiach, the crown of Mashiach, Ben Yosef and Ben David, is the Yechida. If you get it, you are. If you don't, you're just a Shurish. What we have to also remember is that every generation has a Shurish of Ben David and Ben Yosef. Why? Because we know that clients who can bring the Mashiach in one of two ways. Either Biachishena, which means if they do mitzvahs, if Klai Yisrael does mitzvahs and is and a tzaddikim and so on, then the Mashiachim will come to schus, merit, right? If they don't do that and they sin, then ultimately he will come and that's called Be'itoy in its time. So there's a guarantee, so they can, Klai Yisrael can bring the Mashiach anytime if they do tshuva and they do mitzvahs and so on. It's when, uh, uh, so that's called Biachishena. I will hasten it. But if Klai Yisrael doesn't do that and say they sin and therefore they get Yisrael and all that, then will, the two Mashiachim will come be Be'ito uh, in its time, which is the last guaranteed time that he will come. He must come, because God swore, who may be Goyal in Shimon Esrei, and he will bring Redeemer, Leman Shemoi Bi'ahavo, for his great name's sake. And he swore to the others that no matter what they do, he will bring the Mashiach. Of course, the question is, how do they deserve it? And the answer is either Mitzvah, Shuvah, or Yisurin. That's it. The Yechidah of Adomishan is the Yechidah of all the Jewish people, which is astounding. And that's how they are able to connect to every Jew. It's like Moshe Rabbeinu ultimately was the Neshama of all Klai Yisrael. Okay, so we know who the Mashiachan are, at least Kabbalistically. And we know in every generation there's always Ben Dobit, Sherish, candidate, and candidate Ben Yosef. And if, the, if they, in that generation they are found worthy, then they become the Mashiachim. If not, then they will pass on and there are other Shrashim that will take their place. But it's always the same mechanics, as they said. Moshe Rabbeinu was a Shur, Moshe Rabbeinu is more than that, but he was a certain Mashiach ben Yosef. Real question is, who would have been Mashiach ben Dovid if they hadn't done the Egel? That's an interesting conjecture. But in any case, we know also Shaul was Mashiach ben Yosef. That's why Shaul was king. Because the question is, how could you make Shaul king, right, if uh, it's only in Yehuda? Yehuda that it can only come from Yehud, and Shaul is from Binyamin. And the answer is, because Binyamin is one of the children of Rochel, and Bnei Rochel can be Mashiach Bin Yosef. Actually, anybody can be Mashiach Bin Yosef, but certainly, and therefore Shaul was Mashiach Bin Yosef. He failed, because of the whole situation of Agog, Amalek, and so on. So therefore, there are very other, various other peoples that were candidates. One of the candidates, by the way, was Shimshon. Shimshon was Mashiach Bin Yosef. That's why, well, getting into it, and there was a whole arrangement, and that's why uh, by, we see by Yaakov when he was given the brachas, the blessings to Shvatim. So when he came to Don, you know, he said, uh, all of a sudden, Don Yod Namoy, and he'll judge his people. And all of a sudden, he says, So Rashi says, because he's so benevuah, that Shimshon that comes from Don is going to sin. And he realized that Shimshon can't be Mashiach ben Yosef. So he said, okay, we have to wait for your salvation. So it comes out that Shimshon. You know, people like to look at Shimshon as, right, the, uh, the strong man of Kleinsville, which he obviously was. But he was really Mashiach ben Yosef. That's really what he was. And the job of Mashiach ben Yosef, we know, is always to go into the klipa and to go to the, the tumor, whatever, to remain righteous and to subdue evil and destroy, which is exactly what Shimshon did uh, in terms of the uh, Philistines. Uh, okay, who's the next candidate? So I mentioned a couple, right? The, then it was Yerub ben Nevat. In fact, the Ramchal says in Yerub ben Nevat, <laughs> became a tremendous uh, sinner and he, he made all Israel sin 
That's the story in Nach. The Ramchal says that he was the closest ever to become a Sheikh Ben Yosef. Astounding. Because you rubbed him, yeah, you rubbed him about. What? Could you imagine that? Yeah, almost, yeah. He says, the Ramchal says that Yechida almost came on this man. He, we don't even know who this person was. It says that he and Achia Shiloini used to learn. Achia Shiloini was dead. Oh, was he dead at that time? He lived 500 years. But and they learned in a field. And the learning that they learned, Yerob Menavot, I think Achia Shiloini, I think it was Achia Shiloini. I don't think it was Eli Novi, but it was so incredible that the Malochim came down to listen to their Chidushim. I mean, and this is Yerobim ben Avad that forced Israel to worship idols and so on. We have no idea. But anyway, so what the Ramchal did, which was interesting, Ramchal says this, he took Yerobim ben Avad and he brought him back in Gilgulim, into Goyim. So when a Jewish neshama is a neshama of a Goy, really the Goy is Jewish. And then, you know, eventually, whatever, and that's a tremendous suffering for the neshama of a Jew that goes into the body of a goy. Anyway, so Yerobim ben Avot was nizgalgal in goyim, okay? And when did he come back in Klai Yisrael? With the father of Rabbi Akiva, Akiva ben Yosef. The father, I think is a father, I'm not sure if it's a grandfather, father, who was a ger, by the way. He was the Gilgal of Yerobim ben Avot. And eventually Rabbi Akiva would have been the candidate also. And so on. There are people that could have been Sheikh Ben Yosef. One of them was uh, Ezra, a Sefer, also Sheikh Ben Yosef, and you see Chazal allude to that. And then you have Rabbi Akiva and so on, uh, probably the Ari, and uh, I'm certain the Ramchal was a Shirsh and so on. So there are Shrushim which you can identify, but none of them made it because Chalaisba wasn't Roy. So they never got the Yechida. So in the end, obviously, we're coming down to the, as we say, we're coming down to the wire, you know, which is Bitoy. So whoever the candidate in today's time is, whoever's the Sherish, you know, if today's, if this generation will be Bitoy, which we all hope it is, and he will get the Yechidah. Whoever's the Sherish of Ben Yosef doesn't know he's a Sherish. So he's not Mashiach, he's not informed. Mashiach himself will be informed that, by the way, you're Mashiach, which means obviously I have to be a Sherish. And if I'm Sherish, that means uh, then Yosef Atzadik or Yehuda have to be connected to me. But uh, obviously they were not informed, so they don't know. You know, I mean, they were, they were tremendously gedolim, incredible gedolim, uh, in the time of uh, the last 20 years. Incredible people, you know. You know, and Kleinsville has had in incredible gedolim, tzaddikim. Okay, so those are the, the, the candidates. Now, uh, we now begin to understand something that I read in the Yalkut. The Mashiach is hidden. Why? The first reason why he's hidden, right, is because uh, of what's called Kitrugim. Because if the Satan knows who the Mashiach is or who the Sherish is, what do you think he's going to do all day? Try to destroy this guy. You know what I'm saying? He's trying to kill him, destroy him or whatever. So that's why many times you find the Mashiach is born in circumstances which are clearly or look clearly to be sinful. You have the classics, you know. You have uh, Lloyd and his daughters, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm going earlier to Lloyd. Lloyd was earlier. Last time I checked. So you have Lloyd and his daughters, and from them came Moev. From Moev came Rus, the mother of, you know, ultimately the, uh, the, uh, the Malchus and so on, the Dovid Amelech. That comes through Tumor, and, be actually, and then after him is Yehuda and Tumor, right? She gives birth to parents and so on, right? And Yehuda and Tumor, I mean, was clearly, is a sin, but the Medrash says it wasn't, because God forced Yehuda to have relations with his daughter-in-law. He, he was an honest. You know, uh, without going into the Medrash, 
and of course uh, uh, he gave birth to parrots and so on and so forth and that is a forerunner of, of uh, Boyaz and, and, and so on, the same idea and so on. Then of course you have Moshe Rabbein who was born at a time that all the Jews are dying because Paro decreed that they should kill all the firstborn. This is all to hide the Mashiach, you know, in order to, it should be Ketrugim. So the Sutton either doesn't see it because it's uh, sinful Oh, he's too busy uh, prosecuting Kleinsville to have the Jews killed in the time of Paroi, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's all to hide the man, and so on. Then you have, of course, Dovid HaMelech, who everybody thought was a mamza. We know that, right? The whole Medrash and so on, right? And then it's only when Shmuel and Nabi came to anoint uh, in the house of Yishai, you know, the whole incredible Medrash where, uh, you know, he comes to the house and he says, okay, uh, God said that one of your kids is going to be the king of Israel. So, of course, he lined them all up. And, uh, and Shmuel, who was an incredible Navi, went by each one, nothing happening. So he said, so he said to Yishai, he said, do you have somebody else as a kid? Is there somebody else in your family, you know? Uh, so Yishai said, yeah, I have um, my youngest son, his name is David, and he's out in the field uh, tending the sheep, which itself, you know, is, huh? Uh, I told you, gather your kids, because one of them is going to be king of Israel, and he's out there tending the sheep, and of course, that was Dovah because everybody thought he was a mamza. If you remember the Medrash, which I'm not going to go into. And of course, when Dovah came into the house, Shmuel Anovi looked at him, and he, he, he must have been at the other end of the room. The oil in his, in the, the anointing oil, jumped out of his hand, Shmuel, and went straight across the room. Could you imagine? Uh, what an Olympic jump, huh? And uh, just fell right on top of his head and just anointed him. I mean, you know, what, what else is there to say after that, right? So again, you have Dovid Amelach, and then, of course, you have many. You have Yerub ben Nevat, uh, although he was known and so on and so forth, uh, and all <coughs> the generations, uh, people who, uh, uh, and, and it always seems to come to Tumor or, or whatever and so on. I mean, even Rabbi Akiva, who also was a Sherish, you know, he came through, uh, he was a Ger. He was an Amorit, basically, for 40 years. I mean, who expects him to be a Mashiach, right? Yet he is the responsible, he's the cause of Tosh Peh. It's beyond belief what this man knew, right? And at 40 years old, he was an Amaretz. I mean, yeah, I, I always like to look at this as God has an incredible sense of humor. You know, where the least guy you think is Mashiach, he's the guy, you know? And, uh, and that's why you have Reb, you know, they say certain Rebbe's are Mashiach. So I once told the guy, well, the fact that you actually say he's Mashiach probably means he's not, because you're expecting him to be in. And the Pasik really is like Dover Melech's Pasik in Halal, which we said today. That's really what it is. The stone that was despised by the builders became the cornerstone. That's what Dvarshim does. You know, Dvarshim conceals this man, so there's no Kitrugim. But there's a second reason why, and you now know from the Yalkov. Because the Mashiach bin Yosef, much more than Mashiach bin David, Mashiach bin David doesn't suffer the same way as Mashiach ben Yosef. He suffers in Shemayim, where his neshama is denied access to incredible awe. But that's a spiritual suffering. Mashiach ben Yosef is a physical suffering. He's a real person. Like he says, He's clearly referring to himself as a real person, right? And I'm suffering. So the Mashiach ben Yosef suffers physically. And I read the, the Yalkut, the Medrash, right? And you see what the suffering is. It's, just, it's astounding to watch. Uh, it, 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 it's an oil basel, and that oil basel obviously is metaphoric. It's a metaphor. 
doesn't mean he's walking around with a yoke, you know. It'd be interesting to see some guy walking around with a yoke and they ask him, who are you? It's Amish Yoke and Yosef, because it says he's got to walk around with a yoke, a yoke. Therefore, the reason why we don't see this is because Mashiach ben Yosef doesn't look like the guy. Like Rabbi Akiva was an Amorist for 40 years old. Would you ever suspect? Imagine you meet him at 39 years old. He's a 39-year-old guy. He's a middle-aged man. You know, and he's got, he's not, he doesn't have any prospects, nothing. You know, and this guy winds up to be the transmitter of Teresh Bar-Peh. It's astounding what the Bansham does, you know. It's the same thing with Avram Avinu at 75. He's an old man at 75, yet he becomes the forerunner of the whole nation of Israel, which is astounding. Mashiach ben Yosef, he suffers for Kleinsville, well, and therefore it, it's never apparent of who he is, because the guy that you meet looks like a regular guy, you know. He's a regular guy, so how would you possibly know who he is? But I want to tell you something What's important to know. To you he looks like a regular guy, but he clearly in himself knows that there's something wrong here. Because we're not talking about a guy, I want to tell you something, you know, when Rabbi Akiva became who he was, does that mean he had no potential? He had enormous potential, right? We're not talking about a guy who has a, you know, like 103 IQ to start off with, you know? We're talking about a guy who had incredible spiritual potential. It was nowhere, right? What was missing was the actualization of that potential. So Rabbi Akiva had to say to himself, at some point in his life, what's going on here? I'm a, I'm a very, I, have a, I have a great head, I have a great memory, and I have tremendous spiritual proclivities, which means attractions. Why am I not, why am I an Amoritz? He had to say that to himself. You know what I'm saying? If you think about that realistically, yeah, that's the type of person that Mashiach Ben Yosef has to be. A guy who has tremendous spiritual potential, and it's completely blocked. Yeah, he himself must feel that there's something wrong, that why isn't he successful, and what's happening here. Because like I say, we're not talking about an average guy. We're talking about a guy who has incredible potential. It's a very important concept, I'm telling you. Don't underestimate it. But in any case, and therefore he himself probably suspects, but suspecting is one thing, and being is another. The Mashiach bin Yosef, whoever the guy is, whoever he is, has two phases. There's Mashiach Bilkilkuloi in his destructive, deformed phase. That's Bilkilkuloi. That's the Indian of the of the Yisurim that the Yalkut the, the, the Medrash talks about is the whole Yisurim. And like the Ova said to him, which is amazing, you're greater than us, you see, because the Xeris on you were terrible, severe, and bad. You see, then they tell that uh, to the Mashiach Ben Yosef. So therefore, that's Mashiach B'tikulay. But the Mashiach now, obviously, when he gets the Yechidah, is called B'tikunay. He has a Tikun. You see, he's changed. So the Mashiach Ben Yosef has to grow. What am I talking about? Rehabilitation. The Mashiach Ben Yosef has to be rehabilitated. People think that all of a sudden some guy's going to be coming. I hate to say it, but riding on a rhino, riding on a white horse, you know or maybe uh, driving in a Lexus, a white Lexus. Today it would be a white Lexus instead of a white horse. You take a guy like this, where the office admit that he's much worse off than they are, and it's incredible, right? And you talk about the Bonsham, you know, he's screaming and screaming, you know, I got to get out of this because I'm, I'm dying here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden, he's released. He's released. He's got to go to rehab, right? 
what's his rehab? That's the question, right? That's fascinating what his rehab is. So his rehab is what? So the Pusik says what is rehab. So in Yeshayahu, in Nun Beis, Pasuk Yugimel, it says over there that the Mashiach, that the nations of the world, in fact, everybody, including Jews, are going to look at this guy and say, excuse me, you are Mashiach? I can't believe this. Right? And then the, and then the Pusik says, incredible. It says what? Hine yaskel avdi. Behold, my servant will grow wise. So the servant is the Machletus. Rashi and other Mephoshim say, my servant will grow wise and he will change rehab, right? That's Klai Yisrael, which is true. But the, uh, the Targum says it's Malka Mashiach. It's Mashiach. So it can go on both, but it really goes on Mashiach. Why? Because it says, V'yorum, and he will grow. V'niso, and he will be, grow exceedingly. V'gova mi'oid, and he will become exceedingly high. So the Medrash says on that, what does that mean? Remember, we're talking about the rehab of the Mashiach. Bitikunoi. So Viyora means, and he will become greater than Avram Avino, which means he will know more than Avram Avino. Now that's, he will become greater than him. I mean, for that already, is like, you know, he's otherworldly. And then it says, Venisa, he will be greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Now that already is beyond belief. So what's the Vagova Mi'oid? He will be greater than the Malachim. He will know more, greater Kedusha, be greater spiritually than the Malachim themselves while he's living on earth. I mean, talk about a rehab center, right? That's the Mashiach B'tikunoid. You see? So that's what's going to happen to him. You know, what's interesting, and that's in Yeshayo. Uh, so what we see, therefore, is that this is who he is. Now, what's interesting is, I, I once saw a, a, a statement by Rav Kaduri. Rav Yitzhak Kaduri, he was Nifter many years ago. He was the greatest of the Mikubolim. He was called the Rosh HaMikubolim when he was alive. He lived to 108 or whatever, with the age he was. But a tremendous person, tremendous Mikubol. And he once made a statement, which I saw written, you know, about what he said about Mashiach. So here's what he said, it's interesting, you know. He said, the Mashiach is going to be a person that will become known, not as Mashiach, but somehow his name will get out there. As an unusual person or whatever, you know. And then he's going to disappear from the public. That's what he says, you know. And then he says, and then all of a sudden, he's going to become known again. And slowly, it's going to become more and more apparent who he is. And he says, people are going to look at this guy and say, you're Mashiach? I can't believe this. In other words, you're talking about a guy who's nobody would ever suspect he's Mashiach. You see? And the truth is, you see that. When the brothers came to Egypt, and they finally came to Yosef, right? So Yosef was going to reveal himself. What did he say? Ani Yosef. And they were stunned. That's exactly how the Mashiach is going to reveal himself. Ani Yosef. I am Yosef. That is the viceroy of Egypt. And they were absolutely, like the Torah says, they were just dumbstruck. That's the Gilu of the Mashiach ben Yosef, which is a very important concept. So therefore we see, and now Yosef, he was a viceroy of Egypt. I guarantee you, he looked like an Egyptian. You know, however they walk around, I mean, he's, he's a viceroy, right? Would you ever suspect that an Egyptian that spoke Egyptian, looked like an Egyptian, right? Knew the Egyptian culture and is the viceroy that he's the Messiah? Impossible. 
Yet he was the Mashiach, which is incredible. And not only that, if you think about that, how quick was his revelation? It's amazing, you know. Finally, Para had a dream in Mikates, right? And the, in one posik, he went from the lowest social status in Egypt, which is a prisoner. <coughs> in one posik, they shaved him, dressed him, and he right in front of Pare. This hap must have happened in like in two hours. He went from what's called a bor amikta, a low, the lowest pit, to Igorama, to the highest roof. In one posik, you see? You know, when, when, when the Rabbanishim finally wants to do this, he's not going to dilly-dally. Well, think about it. Maybe I'll give it to a committee. <laughs> Let them decide, you know, and then we have to take a vote with the committee, right? And then we have to do with the appeals, you know, and all this kind of... No, no, no. It happened in, 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 in three hours. He was gone. From, uh, just think about that. The koyaf of God. Because you figure, how are you going to get out of prison? He needs lawyers. He needs the appellate division. Right? And then maybe the Supreme Court to get him out of prison. You know, it's going to take years. You know, with the Bosham, nothing takes years in the blink of an eye. And that's what happens. And Yosef, nobody knows that this person could even dream about being Yosef. And it happens in the blink of an eye. That's what's going to happen in the end of time. The reason why you'd never suspect, like I said, is because he's got the yoke which decimates the guy. I mean, who knows what this guy is going through. It decimates the guy and so on. <clears throat> and then, of course, what happens is he reveals the origin. Let me tell you what the Ramchal says, since I'm talking about Mashiach, uh, what he says. What does it mean Kabbalistically? I'll just tell you. Because it means that Yesoid, the sphere of Yesoid, which is Ben Yosef, goes into Malchus. You know, it's funny. We say, V'yipokeid v'yizokher. In Mighten Halel, Mashiach Ben David, right? We say Mashiach Ben David? In Yalaviyova, right? We say that. The Ramchal says that the Pocket and the Zoch are two different. There's what's called the Pekida and the Zechira. The Pekida is when the sphere of Yesoid finally comes into Malchus, which is the <coughs> real way the world works. And that's the first redemption. What that means is that the Neshama. The Yechid of Adam Rishon will enter this individual that's Mashiach Ben Yosef. That's called the Pekida. The, the Zechira is, is when Tiferes joins Yesoid in Malchus. And that's the Shekhinah is released. Exactly. There are two things that have to be released, like we see from the Medrash. Mashiach Ben Yosef is in the Klippa, that's number one, which means he's in the Tumah. And the Boishlam is not in the tumor, but the Tzav the Shekhinah, he's also in prison. That's why it says, and God will restore your captivity. It doesn't say God will restore your captivity. It's not God will return with your captivity. Because he's also in what's called the Klippa. It's also, it's also called Shekhinah Begalusa. That the Boishlam himself doesn't occupy a seat. So the Shekhinah itself is... So the first Geula is the Mashiach himself gets the Echidah and he's released. He's Mashiach. That's it. And you should know, once that happens, it is, it is unstoppable and irreversible. It's over. There's no force in the universe when it's Be'itoi because that's the will of God. Nothing can stop it. 
uh, it's uh, like I say, it's unstoppable, it's irreversible. And once that beat happens, but the first thing that happens is that the Mashiach is released from the clipper, which is all the oil and so on, right? And he gets Yechida, so he now knows who he, he now knows who he is. And then the second thing that happens is the Shechin is released because that's a great kedusha, and that's called Ferris in the Yisoid Malchus. All of it is a Malchus. And when the Shechin is released, get out of the way. Even when Ben Yosef is released, and so on, and that's it. It's unstoppable. It's irreversible. And that's what you see by Yosef Atzadik. Remember the famous Persik, Basik. The Chol Hashem also Hitzliach Hashem biyodoi. Everything he did, God made successful. That's Ben Yosef. Once he is, uh, even that he actually happened when he was in prison. But he has that brocha. That's why. How do you know who the Mashiach will be? Because whatever he does must succeed. It's impossible to fail. Because that's Beitoy, and that's how you know he's Mashiach. Exactly. You know, he succeeds, and that's how you know. Once that happens, what happens? Then we are looking at the Or Mashiach. You know, he will bring down this incredible Or, enlightenment, consciousness. He will change the consciousness of Klai Yisrael. That's what he does, which is a very important concept. Now, what is the Or Mashiach? And really, I've been angling toward this concept. What is the Or Mashiach? I once said, the Or Mashiach is something which is not comprehensible to us. Because it, it says, Kimor or it's Deus Hashem. And the earth, Kimor or it's Deus Hashem, the earth will be filled with, filled with the knowledge of God as the waters covers the seabed. What does that mean? So the Medrash says an incredible thing. It's the end of Kohelis, <coughs> the Medrash Rabbah, the end of Kohelis. It says, the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, which is what? It's... Uh, 300,000 farm, right? 300,000 farm, Moshe Rabbeinu, which is astounding. Bavli, Yoshami, Halocha, you name it. It's a totality of Torah. So the Medrash says that the, the Torah of, Mesh, uh, of Moshe Rabbeinu, which is everything we know, is Hevel, Luft, air, compared to the Torah of Mashiach. Could you imagine what that is? Air, air has no substance. You know, it's compared to the Torah, it's like air, substance, compared to... It's not even a comparison, right? So that's his ore. And that ore is going to be revealed in Oilam Hazer, in this world, while we're alive, right? And wait a minute. That kind of consciousness, that type of enlightenment, nobody could bear that. Everybody will drop dead. Nobody could be served that ore. Because we're not talking here by, by the way, let me tell you about religion and experience that the world has never seen because it's the end of time. And then in the same Medrash it says that the Torah of, Ulam, uh, of Mashiach is Hevel compared to the Torah of Ulam Habo. So we have no idea even what's in Ulam Habo. <coughs> but we're not even, at least Ulam Habo is spiritual. You know, you're not here, you're in Ulam Habo. You know, the Ulam Mashiach, <coughs> which is Torah of is Hevel compared to that, is Luft, air compared to that. That's Ulam Hazer. That's now. That's in the physical universe. What is that supposed to mean? We have no comprehension. So what we begin to understand is, wait a minute, you can't do this to the world. You kill everybody. You know, it's like taking a guy from New Guinea, one of these guys, you know, uh, you know, natives of New Guinea. They never saw a white man before 1953, right? You take him, you know, then, and you put him in Fifth Avenue on Manhattan, right? He'll have a heart attack. He can't assimilate what's going on. You know, guys, cars, I mean, it's like, it's like beyond belief, you know? Uh, you know, uh, it, 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 the same thing would happen to the whole world. In fact, 
when Moshe Rabbeinu came down with the Luchas Rishonis, what was that? That was the Om Shiach. And what happened to Klai Yisrael? They all died. Yes? Clearly then, Klai Yisrael needs a rehabilitation. Not just the Mashiach. Klai Yisrael needs that. Yeah, but wait a minute. Jews are gone. 11 million Jews are gone. You see? And even those that are here, I mean, how many religious Jews are there? You know, how many Orthodox Jews, how many Jews are there that know Torah? Forget about the Enlightenment of Mashiach. They don't even know what the simple ideas of, of Tanakh and Mishnais and Gemara and Shulchan Aruch. Therefore, what you begin to understand is a very important conclusion, is that Klai Yisrael, the Jewish people, need to be rehabilitated. Not just the Mashiach himself, but the Jewish people now have to be rehabilitated, or else they'll all die. And they died once, they were resurrected. Uh, the purpose isn't that they should die. The purpose is Mashiach should come <coughs> and redeem them while they're here. So that's a very important concept, that they have to be rehabilitated. So the question is, how are they going to be rehabilitated? What was the first rehabilitation? I will tell you. Most people don't realize this. When Yosef became the viceroy of Egypt, right? Pare was still in charge, right? Pharaoh, Pare. But what Parai did is he said to Yosef, you're in charge. The only thing that separates you from I is the chair, the throne. Other than that, you're in charge. Do you have any idea what the power of a pharaoh was in Egypt? He was considered a god, right? He could do anything, basically. Therefore, he transferred that power to Yosef. Now, Yosef being who he was, he's not going to take advantage. He's not interested in being wealthy. We're talking about an incredible tzaddik, right? What Yosef always does, whether it's Jew or Goy, is to raise you spiritually. Because even a Goy has to be raised spiritually. So we can assume that Yosef raised the Egyptians morally, ethically, and he removed them, in many ways, from their klipa. Not totally, but he clearly raised Egypt. Why? Not only because of his personality, but for another reason. <laughs> because what the Bershom wanted, really, why did the Jews go to Egypt? It's funny, we have an Agoda, you know, on Pesach, and we, we thank the Bunshim for taking us out of Egypt, right? Anybody ask what we're doing there in the first place? I mean, we thank you for taking us out, but excuse me, why? So, the real reason why the Jews had to go to Egypt is because for 2,000 years, mankind could do the Tikkun, to rectify <coughs> creation. The problem is, if you can rectify, you can destroy, because that's what it means to rectify. It means you can actually bring God in or push him away. So the problem is, for 2,000 years, what did mankind do? Instead of bringing them back, they pushed them away, correct? But more than that, they gave the Kedusha that they would have brought down from their mitzvahs, they gave it to the Sultan. The problem is that the Sultan had all these incredible sparks of holiness, <laughs> which I told you, right, that he's yunik, that he could take from the Kedusha of Kleinsroh. At that time, he could take it from the Umas because they were the Masaknim. They were the ones that could do the Tikkun, to rectify creation. So the Rebbeinu appeared to Avraham Avinu and said, excuse me, I want to tell you something. You are going to be my rectifier. And Avraham Avinu says, hey, that's fabulous, because you're the only one doing it. But then the Rebbeinu by the way, rectification means not just from here on in. It means you've got to undo everything, the 2,000 years of mankind. So Avraham Avinu says, well, what did they do? Well, I'll tell you what they did. They gave the Sutton an incredible amount of Kedusha. You got to take it back 
to the side of Kedusha, holiness. Wow! That's beyond belief. So the Boshim then told them, so Avram Avinu said, you mean it's not just from here on in. We got to undo the damage of the Kilkel that the nations of the world who could rectify creation, we got to undo that. This is what the Boshim said to Avram Avinu. You and your descendants will rectify creation. One. However, rectifying means you've got to undo the damage caused by the previous rectifiers. And therefore, you need to go into a nation and remain righteous. And by that, you need to go into a nation that will be the firstborn of the Sultan. You need to remain righteous. That's it. Just don't assimilate. And therefore, you will have rectified. That's why we had to go to Egypt, is to finish the job. But what happens if the Jews don't and they assimilate? Then vavodim, they will do the tikkun to Yisurin, and if not, if that's worse, the inoisam, they will afflict them. But in the end, they will go out rechush gadol, v'achiyetz rechush gadol. And remember what I said, rechush gadol is the gematria of yetz rechush gadol, is gematria the numerical value of nitzuitzei kedusha, the sparks of holiness. That's a bingo, because that's really what they took out. Now, but for what the Bosh really want? He didn't want them to assimilate. He just said, remain righteous. Yes? Had they done that and not assimilated, then Yitzhiya Mitzrayim would have been different. It's just interesting to think what would have happened. But that clearly was a contingency plan. Avodim and Inuisam is a contingency plan. He really wanted them just to be Geyet, Yazaracha, just don't assimilate. And now let's go back to Yosef, now that you understand this. So this was the beginning. But in order not to assimilate, here's what has to happen. You have Paroi, which is the Klippa, Egypt, because that they have to go into the Klippah, right, to remain righteous, right? And Yosef is being charged, yes? Right, but wait a minute. In order for them not to assimilate, they have to be rehabilitated. Well, what happened? And Yaakov lived, and Chazal say that what he did, Yaakov Avinu did, was beyond belief. He grew in stature and spirituality more than all the years before. The 17 years that he was in Egypt, was an unbelievable, unrivaled spiritual growth. That was the rehabilitation, wasn't it? And therefore, but in order to do that, in order for Yaakov, and if Yaakov did that, then obviously not just Yaakov, but the Shvatim were rehabilitated, means enormous spiritual stature, and all the kids, means the whole Israel had access to Yaakov and the Yeshiva, and they were on incredible Madrega. But in order to do that, he wanted to have Yosef in Paroi. Why? Because in order to have this type of spiritual reawakening, you need to have a climate of peace, prosperity, and tranquility. You need that. You know, if it's war or combat or anti-Semitism, nobody's going to grow. You're too busy trying to save your life. So what the Bosham did is incredible. He arranged that this would happen. Paroi, that's the Klippa, that's the, where the Jews have to go in to remain righteous, right? But Yosef is going incre- to rehabilitate Klai Yisrael. What's, and where was the rehabilitation? Vayichi Yaakov, that's where you see it. And that would be Geyi Yisarachom. That would be enough. What happened? The Jews failed. They went down into the Memtes. Egypt collapsed, because obviously, and the Jews unfortunately went along with them, right? So therefore, it needed Avodim, they will serve them Yisurin and Inuisam, and then the Jews can emerge. But the Jews still need rehabilitation. What's the difference? Because they had fallen from that lofty place. So what was the rehabilitation? 
And now you begin to understand. The Russian couldn't give Torah. He had to rehabilitate him. So the first rehabilitation was the Marcus. For one year, Egypt suffered under the Marcus. Right? <coughs> and in that year, it wasn't just a Makkah, it wasn't just a uh, blow to Egypt, it was a blow to Egypt and an incredible spiritual insight to the Jews, as it says, That wasn't just a physical light, that was an incredible spiritual asoga. So for one year they were being lifted, 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 lifted. That was the one year of the Makkah. What is this process? Rehabilitation. Then what happens? Right? Then you had Kriyas Yamsev. And we know that a maidservant saw more of Kriyas Yamsev than Yechezkel Novi saw. Correct? Wow, what an insight. What an enlightenment. So that was the second phase of the rehabilitation. But that rehabilitation, Kriyas Yamsev, was beyond anything we could even possibly imagine. Right? And then the next rehabilitation phase was the 49 days. Yes? So that by the time they stood at Sinai, they were rehabilitated. They were on an unbelievable spiritual level. Okay? Now forget about why they did the golden calf. I'm not going to go into that. Therefore, they were ready, hopefully, to receive the Luchas Rishonis from Moshe Rabbeinu, right from the Bersham, the first tablets. And as it is, they died. With all this rehabilitation, they still died. Okay. You know, whatever. But what they saw was the Orishan. That's the Luchas Rishonis. So that's one, now you understand what really happened in Egypt. The concept of Yosef, Vayichi Yaakov, and so on. But remember, rehabilitation basically has to take place in what? In a, in a time of tranquility, which it did, Kriya Samsuf and, and 49 days, whatever. When was the second time of rehabilitation? It was the second Kufa. <coughs> you know what that was? Mordechai and Esther. Yeah, let's take a look. Right? Jews were sinning, obviously, with the meal and all that. And they were under Ahasuerus, which is Persia. So therefore, what did Bansham do? After they finally were saved, right? Mordechai became the Shani Lamelech. Right? God of the... Mordechai became incredibly great in, under Ahasuerus. And everybody feared him. What did Mordechai do? Right? What he did was he instituted incredible peace and tranquility where Klai Yisrael was now able to grow in Ruchnius. And that's what it means. Obviously, they achieved an incredible spiritual advancement to such an extent where had they come back with Kira, uh, Ezra HaSofa, then Ezra HaSofa would have been Mashiach bin Yosef. That's how great they became spiritually. You see? So it's almost the same scenario as Egypt. Where you had Mordechai on the there's peace and tranquility. There's an enormous amount of learning, with, especially if Mordechai is the second to the king, right? And it was so great that they were ready for Mashiach ben Yosef, who's Ezra Sefer. Great. Now let's take a look at the third instance in time. I'm trying to show you how this repeats itself. But the, fun, the interesting thing is that by Yaakov, that was right before the redemption. By Mordechai, that also was before the redemption. Chazal learned that out, that Ezra should have been Mashiach ben Yosef. Rashi even brings it out in Yechezkel, that that second redemption, when the second base of Midas was going to be built, was a Tekufa that the Mashiach could have come. Anyway, the third is, you know when? It's very interesting. Rabbeinu HaKadosh was very good friends with Antoninus. The Gemara says that, right? The whole Gemara of Zara. Antoninus, Roman Empire. Rabbeinu HaKadosh was tight with the Roman Empire. 
fascinating. Who is this Antoninus? Which Roman Empire? Right? Well, there's a Roman Empire called Marcus Aurelius. He was known as a philosopher. His name was really Marcus Aurelius Antoninus. The Derisory Shainam, who's a history book, a very Choshva history book, Jewish history, says that that who was Antoninus, Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, who ruled from 161 CE to 180 CE. And that person, Rome, which of course Israel was under Rome, it was after the Choban bias, right? That was Antoninus, who was incredible friends with Rebbe. But it's more than friends. It says that Antoninus served Rebbe. He was so taken by Rebbe, Rabbeinu HaKadosh. I mean, we have no idea who Rabbeinu HaKadosh was, right? And he was taken with Rebbe. It says that when Rebbe would go into his bed, Antoninus would bend down, and he would allow Rebbe to step on him. It's the emperor of Rome, right? The greatest individual, right? He would step on him in order to get to his bed. So Rebbe once said to Antoninus, I can't use your malchus for this. It's deadly disrespect. So Antoninus says, I should be your mat. What about your footstool? I mean, imagine the Hasoga. And Antoninus, where did he come with Rebbe? Rebbe's in Israel, in Judea. And Antoninus is in Rome. No, for a, a certain amount of time, Antoninus lived in Tferia. And it said that Rebbe, that Antoninus loved Rebbe, and not only that, he wanted to exempt the Gemara Rabbeinu says he wanted to exempt the Chachomim of Tveria from tax, so they could sit and learn, because he tremendously respected scholars because he loved Rebbe. You believe this, a Roman emperor? So again, what do we have? We have Rome, Edom, don't we? Under Antoninus, who is the Shani Lamelech, so to speak, Rebbe, right? But where's the ore? And the ore is the Mishnayis. Here was the problem, right? The, 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 the exile was increasing, right? And Rebbe realized that it's over. So because of Antoninus, there was a time of tremendous peace, prosperity and tranquility, right? And Rebbe was very good friends. He was like the Shani Lamelech, you know, even though he wasn't, but Antoninus loved him. Rebbe was able to call all the Chachamim in this huge meeting, and each one would tell him their Mishnah, their oral law that they got from their Rebbe. Rebbe would take them all, and he chose the Mishnah that Rav um, Shri Ragoin says. He chose the Mishnah text of Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Meir. He felt that was the best. And he standardized everybody's Mishnahis into the Mishnahis that we have today. Because they were all over the place. Each one had their own in their own style. So Rebbe realized it's not going to do, do if the Jews go into exile. So what he did is he created a text from all of them, but he's able to do that because it was in the time of Antoninus. Incredible. So that was the enlightenment. So, and it's funny, that's Edom. So we see actually that Edom assisted the Jews to revamp their Torah and to have the, the text of Mishnahis. If you remember from last, the, was it, the, the two shulam ago, so this was one of the few times in history that Edom went from Ya'aved, am I told you then, to destroy, to Ya'avoid, truly Ya'avoid. In fact, where do we see that? Because the Torah says, right, Shnei Goyim Bivitneich, there will be two great nations, and Rashi brings down that it refers to Antoninus because they will be equal, Antoninus and Rebbe. So that's the third time you see where the clip of Edom, remember you had the clip of Mitzrayim, then you had the clipper on Achashverosh of Poras, and now we have the clipper of Edom. 
right? Assisting, maybe. I, I haven't really. Uh, I'm, I'm really focused on Edom, you know, just to get you know. Are you be, well? No, no, no. All the, the Rambam is different. Yeah, that's, but I'm talking about a radical shift in the whole Israel. All these three people were Shani Lamelach. You know, I, you know, all of them were right next to the king. So there was an incredible period of peace and tranquility. Got that? Remember. So the fundamental ideas is rehab, rehab for Mashiach Ben Yosef, rehab for Klai Yisrael, and the rehab for Klai Yisrael has to, and Mashiach has to happen because of the oration that he's going to give, or else Klai Yisrael could never. The world cannot accept it. It would kill everybody. You can't take a person with that type of kedusha and give it to him without being ready. We now can come back to current events. Wow. Let me tell you a possible scenario. The Jewish people are in the pits. 11 million Jews at least are gone. We know that. When I mean gone, I mean gone. Forget about knowing anything in Torah, the Machal Shabbos, I mean whatever it is. I don't go through there. And so on. It's just absolutely terrible, the assimilation of the Jews. The assimilation, they're unaffiliated, and the intermarriage, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. And even in Eretz Yisrael, we have so much counter against the um, Jews of Eretz Yisrael because of the era of Rav and so on. I believe I believe that this is about to happen. I hope I'm right. I may be wrong, because if I'm wrong, it's bad news for everybody. If I'm right, I think this is what about to happen. Okay? The same scenario. Edoim, Klippa, somebody big will become attached to that. A tremendous resurgence of terror, and that will be a chonah for the Mashiach, for the, uh, for the rehabilitation. I believe Trump, Donald Trump, could be that figure. I realize it's way out. Because I believe when he says, I want to make America great again, essentially what he's saying is peace, tranquility, and prosperity. Under that kind of climate, okay, somebody could arise and create an enormous resurgence of Torah in Klai Yisrael, without going into how and why. And as a result of that, in our days, there could be a tremendous rehabilitation of, of, of the, uh, the whole concept of Geula Meshichos. Because without, wait one second, because without the rehabilitation, Mashiach really can't come, not in his Tikkunoi. Yeah, in his Kikuloi, I believe that he probably here, and he's in his Kilkel. He's still got this oil of Basel on him and so on. But with Tikkunoi, when Yisoid merges into Malchus, Kabbalistically, and Tferes joins with them, which is v'yipoked, b'kido and zechira, v'yipoked v'yizochem, that's tikkunoi, and that, Kaiswil has to be rehabilitated, just like we see by Egypt, Kaiswil had to be rehabilitated, whether it was through Yosef himself, right, or Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, and all the steps and so on, Kaiswil needs to be rehabilitated. To me, Donald Trump seems like the perfect figure I mean, think about that, right? He's wealthy, doesn't take bribes, doesn't need any of that, right? Everybody around him is almost Jewish. I mean, his son-in-law is Jewish. Somebody, I, I heard that every one of his kids is married to a Jew. He has a daughter, Ivanka. She's Jewish and she's Orthodox <coughs> and so on. I mean, and then he's got um, a guy, Jason Greenblatt, who is chief counsel, who he now made the main, main liaison to Israel. He's an Orthodox Jew. I mean, it, it's incredible. You know, so what does it take for a guy like him to defend the Jewish people 
and to create a climate that Kaisal can be rehabilitated in whatever government funding that could be without mixing religion and state, whatever, right? But it's a perfect scenario, if you think about that. And this scenario would replicate the previous scenarios, if you think about that. Because in all the scenarios, there always has to be some type of rehabilitation. And that rehabilitation has to take place in a, in a, in a time of a climate of, 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 of tranquility, of peace, and of prosperity. And then guys can sit down and think about learning. How it will take, uh, take place? How do you get the Jews out of their slumber is miraculous. I mean, when we talk about Beitoy, we are no longer in Teva, in natural means. We are in complete miracles. And like, remember when I said, the bracha by Yosef is v'chol also, and everything he did, Hitzliach Hashem biyodoy. Somehow, somebody's going to get it up there and rehabilitate Kleinsville miraculously. He'll have all the money he needs, right? He'll have all the, whatever, he, the, the entire wherewithal, and it'll work. Somehow the hearts, like the Roshim says, Ki I will change the Jewish people with my Ruach. I will circumcise the heart of Omolis Levovam. I will circumcise the heart, which means that the Roshim will take away the Ola on the heart, which, by the way, is the Zoyama. He will take away that and enable them to have consciousness of spirituality, which is a miraculous concept. Something will happen where the world will rise that they'll realize there's an incredible other domain called the Ruchnis, the spiritual domains. How that happens, whatever, is, is uh, it's another discussion. But the main idea is I believe something like that will happen and certainly can happen with this candidate. If Trump loses, and there's something else, there's a posik in the Nevi'im. It says, Berega kot nazavtich, in one second I will abandon you, but an incredible great mercy I will gather you. Which means that the Bansham doesn't always want to chase the Jews out of a country, fleeing for their lives. That's not Rachman Gedolim. Yeah, he's doing that with Europe. Why? Because Europe is the evil of Esav, if you remember what I said. But America is a Tevsh of Esav. I believe in Esav, the Jews will go back to Israel, not because they're fleeing for their lives, because of some terrible uh, you know, economic situation, but they will go because of an incredible awakening, resurgence of Ruchnius, which in some way will happen because of Be'itoy. So that's what that Pasuk really refers to. And as far as I'm concerned, Trump is a perfect figure for that. A perfect figure. And maybe that's why he's Gematia Mashiach bin David, which I told you, and so on, 424. And because he, is, he will be like Antoninus. In fact, I will say something which I think is outlandish, and it's pure speculation. Don't even hold me this. I would not be surprised if Trump is a Gilgul of Antoninus. <laughs> I am. This is. This sounds. I mean, it's outlandish. I realize it's probably outrageous. You know. But what? Antoninus was a tzaddik. I wouldn't say that about Trump. Whatever. Because because it says in the Zoya that the Bosham sends back many, many different peoples, you know, to do the evil, to finally close the din on them. But it's not just the evil. Rosh sends back many people who had a positive effect on Jews, and he wants to reward them further. Zoya says this, right? So I wouldn't be surprised if he did that. Oh, okay. Again, it's my speculation. Don't even think that I have proof of this, you know, and so on. That's all. But it's a thought, which is interesting. 
because I think Antoninus deserves to be sent back to finish the job because what he did for Rebbe was incredible. You realize the Mishnais is because of Antoninus? Rebbe, you know, if, if Antoninus was a regular Roman Empire, they'd be, like they did with Rebbe Akiva, they'd be killing Rebbe. He would have killed Rebbe. He killed Rebbe Akiva. You know, uh, what he called uh, uh, Hadrian. Well, he killed the Esurim Rigam Malchus. I mean, you know, so, uh, so therefore, you should know it was a Nes Nigla. It wasn't because Antoninus just happened to like Rebbe. It was a miracle in Hashemayim because the Rebbe knew that Kleinsburg can only survive if Rebbe writes the Mishnayis. But for that to happen, you know, he can't run around hiding from the Romans. It's over with. So what he did, which is incredible, you know, the power of God is awesome. He made Antoninus uh, worship almost Rebbe. Wow, what a, what a political stance and so on. And in that climate, Kleinsburg was Zoycha to Mishnayis. So if Antoninus did that, hey, I think the guy deserves another chance, right? Or maybe he deserves to finish the job. So anyway, that's a thought. It's my speculation. You know, I didn't get this bin of war or anything like that. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's who he really is and so on. But anyway, the main idea is I think it could happen. If he doesn't win the election, it's very bad news for Clay Israel. She will be terrible. She will destroy America. She will corrupt America destroy it because she's fundamentally a pathological liar an unindicted felon she's corrupt as we see from her foundation and so on and she's incompetent and so on you know and she's gonna uh, a supreme court guy well i, I once wrote that the gematria of uh who would you say that vashti was very confident let me tell you I once had a, I once had a gave a whole shit who the Gilgal of Bill, Bill Clinton is. You, ever, you never heard that shit, did you? I'm almost sick of that's who his Gilgal is. But anyway, that's another shit. I actually, well, anyway, I didn't get into that shit. But anyway, um, uh, it'll, it should be terrible. She destroy America, and the problem is not when she, not only she will destroy America, she will be terrible for Israel. She will force Israel to give up who knows what. And this, she'll just carry on Obama, which is very bad for the Jewish people. And uh, she'll, uh, she'll put in people on the Supreme Court that will destroy the morals of America, which they basically are doing. And the terrible thing is the generations of children that come after that, they'll be, they'll be destroyed. I mean, uh, economically they're destroyed, and, and morally and ethically they're destroyed in the values. And not only that, the whole world will be destroyed because they're all going to look at America no longer as a moral guide, but as the, on, the, on the contrary, you guys are cheating and all that. Why can't I do that? She's the worst thing that can happen for America. It's astounding to watch how anybody could vote for this woman knowing that she is this and they don't care. It, it's just, you should know, all of these people, and I'll say it right, is that they will all, <coughs> you know, you don't like Trump, fine. But look at the difference. You put her in, you are actually voting to put in a criminal, incompetent, corrupt. You know, what are you, out of your mind? How can you do this? <clears throat> you know, and if you don't vote for Trump, essentially you're voting for her. Well, I, I, I certainly don't believe that's going to happen. I think Trump will win, and I'm, I'm hoping that the scenario which I've just laid out in the whole shear will begin with that man. Uh, you know, and, uh, like, and if, you, somebody, if somebody's going to ask me why Trump, because like I said, I think it's possible he's a Gilgal of Antoninus. And I think the Bonshim says, hey, I like what you did for my people, Rebbe, Mishnayis. You saved my people. I'm going to allow you to bring the gula. Interesting. And we see this concept of that there's always peace and tranquility before a messianic 
time, we see it four times, three times, which I, well, I just showed you. That's why I illustrated that. And it probably even happened more, but I'm, you know, whatever, and so on, you know. So I'm certainly hopeful that this is the end. And I told you in Shurim before that, that Obama has designated the end of time. And therefore, why is that end of time 15 years from now? Because Chayis, well, now you understand, has to be rehabilitated. I gave that Shia in the bill a long time ago, in the third or fourth Shia, you know? Oh, the Iranian deal. The Iranian deal, yeah. Because uh -huh. I just read the Medrash, yeah, yeah, yeah. that that is the end of time. The gears mangulas them. That's Obama. But why, and I mentioned that why is there a 15-year delay, and now you know. Because Mashiach and has to go from Kilkuloi to Tikunoi. Klai Yisrael has to go from Kilkuloi in a damaged state to Tikunoi in a rectified state, and that's going to take time. So all I can say is, hold on to your seat, Fasten your seatbelts, because if he wins, your head is going to spin in terms of what's going to happen to Klai Israel. With this year, I have concluded current events, and uh, if you want to, you know, um, uh, review it or go the previous, I think uh, hopefully I've provided a total scenario of, of the whole current events and the whole messianic era, what's about to happen.